This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Today, we talk about software designed and developed by an engineer for engineers to help you in your construction management and infrastructure testing. I am your host, Brian Wagner, licensed professional engineer. In this episode of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast, I'll be talking with Jeff Carmichael, a civil engineer turned software developer and co-founder of Qualomate, about quality management in construction projects and how engineers can use software or make their own. So let's jump right in. So now I would like to welcome our guest for today, Jeff Carmichael from Qualomate. Jeff, welcome to the Engineering Quality Control Podcast. Hey, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So we're going to talk about something a little bit different than what we've talked about on any other episodes because you have a product that helps with quality. But could you provide us with a little bit of background about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? So I'm a civil engineer by training, uh, and I'm from Canada. So I worked a little bit in the kind of between consulting and then uh, on infrastructure projects originally in Canada. And then after a bit of time there, I actually moved to New Zealand to work on some big infrastructure projects down there as well. So I was down there for about three years, uh, kind of over the over COVID, which was interesting. But yeah, during that time, I got really interested in artificial intelligence and software development and kind of combining that together with my experience in construction and in civil engineering. After about three years down there, I moved home to Canada and started building a, a startup called Qualimate. And essentially what we do is automatically extract data from construction documents like specifically like inspection reports and test reports. And then we map that data to a physical uh, location on your project. And it's kind of like an interactive map that you can use to keep eyes on your quality program and, and you know, reduce the risks that come along with not you know, knowing exactly what's going on. And that somebody doesn't have to read every word of every report to catch those little things, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's very visual. So it's all tied to your specification. So it's if it passes the spec, then it turns green. If not, it's red, then you've got some more work to do. So I'm kind of doing all the, the software development for that as well as the kind of business side as well. From your experience on the infrastructure projects, where did you see like quality management challenges in that experience that you had? I think the biggest thing was the planning of the execution. Most People in the business will do a really good job on, you know, they're having inspection and test plans and those sorts of documents. But when it comes to the actual, you know, in the field, uh, making sure everybody's on the same page, we found that to be a bit of a struggle, which is sort of where I'm coming from things. For example, like having your lots like well-defined and planned out ahead of time. So, you know, like, you know, we need this many tests in this area. 
but also like making sure everybody on the project knows where those lots are and, and so there's no like double testing or overlaps and just those sorts of chaotic things that can happen if you don't plan out that actual execution of your quality plan because planning it before pre-construction is, is pretty easy you make the documents and, and hand them out to the field team but that actual execution was seems to be a struggle especially on the bigger projects right when you start talking hundreds of thousands of feet and distances and i can understand where it starts to get confusing and doing different things at different phases and different people and different individuals and different companies and you have all that it's like the game of telephone that we all played when we were in elementary school the message can adversely change exactly yeah and you've got so many different teams that might be doing the exact same thing, but doing it in totally different ways, just in different areas. That was definitely a struggle. So if somebody was to like use a product like yours, do you have to know coding or like what would somebody need to know in order to kind of leverage a product like yours? Very little in terms of, of that. It's, it's designed to kind of incorporate the, your existing workflows. So it's all based around emails. So you can just email your documents to the system. So that part is pretty easy. And then creating the lots themselves is kind of the only tricky part. But you can import them from, if you've got your CAD drawings, like a DWG file and things like that. But then you can also kind of draw them on the map. So it's very uh, designed to be very like user-friendly and, and a shallow learning curve, essentially. So we've talked a lot about the engineering and construction documents on the show. But you've kind of developed the software, so it's a little bit different in your approach to probably quality management. But I think that, like I say, with everything, when it comes to quality and it's learning and leveraging those experiences and those insights and nuggets of information from across the spectrum of what we do as engineers. So do you have any like advice on, or can you shed some light, I should say, on how you manage the quality management and the quality control of the software when you were working on it and developing it? It's relatively easy because in terms of, from my perspective, it's I'm the, the sole developer right now. So it's a lot of just testing it out on my, so I build it on um, my local computer and, and running things there. And then just going through that entire workflow of creating, setting up a new project on my computer and doing the whole thing before I actually push it to production so that people uh, can use it. So there's that aspect of it as well. But then even kind of before it gets to that point, there's a lot of outside of those kind of main files that build the, the program doing kind of off the side in like in a, in a different uh, kind of like a prototyping type environment, setting up inputs that the system will process, which is kind of more standardized, proper software development QA type approach. So yeah, yeah, having that separate prototype environment for just one small aspect of the system that I'm building and then making sure that system works. And then you kind of incorporate it with the full thing and then do the full tests of how it goes. So that's been an interesting kind of learning experience for me coming from, you know, a civil engineering background where quality is fairly, you know, standardized and, and well understood and laid out. But then the quality from software development perspective is very different and, and uh, requires kind of different procedures that is in interesting learning and then, you know, learning all the best practices from that side of things as well. It's been cool. Yeah, because ultimately somebody's, when you bring people in to help you on your software, they need to be able to follow it and not break it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So having everything kind of laid out and, and organized is, is very important. And it goes back to those standard practices, consistency that you're kind of going, I think about the evolution of cell phones over the years. And I always said, and I see it with CAD too, like, the technology that 
AutoCAD has or Civil 3D has, within a version or two, MicroStation and Inroads is coming out with that from Bentley or vice versa. Like it's just they're building on each other's technology and those ideas and those concepts. And with that, I'm sure as you create different or improve things and add more features and things like that, that quality that you're doing in your early steps is vital to that long-term success. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, with any product really, you know, you build your core set of features and then as soon as people start using it, it's like, hey, can it do this and can it do this? So you, you start adding those things in. So it really, your code base just kind of grows extremely, extremely quickly. So one of the great things about software development is that like things that you have to do multiple times, it's very easy to not duplicate yourself, right? So you kind of define a function that does a certain thing, and then you can call that same function from different aspects of the app. So if it's, you know, querying the database, you only have to write that once across your different, you know, features, assuming it's the same data that you're looking for. But yeah, it's nice that that we kind of don't get, especially in, in construction, like some in some aspects you do, if you're building a, a building and all the rooms are the same, that's the same idea, like it kind of goes to that prefabrication almost, but in my background in the kind of civil space, civil construction is there's not much modularity when it comes to building a road. If you're digging through the dirt, it's, it's kind of different every time. That's where you, you skip that save as issue that a lot of construction and civil engineering problems, when you take it from another job or take it from another, and then you only edit part of it or change portions of it. You're saying that if you call back to that original and that main one, then you don't have to worry about it being wrong or being save as per se that you structure your piles and your silos correctly. Exactly, yeah. And that's one of the, the benefits of kind of this sort of digital transformation that's happening in the construction industry where a lot of the players are using kind of similar softwares uh, that do kind of a lot more. So if you've got some workflows, like if you're to set up a workflow in, in your software for this project, then you can easily copy and paste that across all the different projects that you might have. So you automatically get those kind of best practices that you establish. That's, you know, the same as, as calling a function in, in the software program that you, it's just the repeatability is, is really going to be key, especially like with the workforce shortages and all these kind of problems of people retiring and, and just passing that knowledge around is something that's sort of learned over the course of an entire career, being able to transfer that very quickly to the next generation where you don't necessarily have a lot of overlap is going to be really important. So I think software is going to play a big role in that from all aspects of civil engineering and, and construction. For your software, do you need to have it on like a computer or is it working in the cloud or how does it work? Yeah, so it's all, all cloud-based. It runs on Amazon Web Services, which is just not coming from a software background, software education myself. It's really amazing once you start to, to learn about those sorts of offerings from those major cloud providers. There's just so many features and they make it so easy to, you know, set up software company, like once you know what you're doing and compared to how it used to be, say 20 or 30 years ago. I remember watching when the, the movie, uh, The Social Network came out and they were building Facebook at first and they just had so many users that they had to keep buying more and more servers and set them up and, and doing all that stuff. You don't have to do that anymore. It's just the click of a button and you've got all of the power of Amazon's you know, global data centers. So it's really powerful. And I think it's it's going to just become more prevalent in every aspect of our lives, not even software development, but civil engineering itself. If you work in an office, like a lot of the consulting firms I worked at, I have a server room that's you know locked and 
don't go in there. So that's the kind of on-premises servers, which is kind of the opposite of, of cloud computing. So a lot of companies are, are sort of migrating from those server rooms to the cloud, and that's providing so much value because you get access to Amazon's just, you know, they've got thousands of people building all these cool tools that you can use and leverage in your day-to-day. So yeah, I think that's going to make a huge, huge impact, especially in, in civil engineering and construction, just kind of making all those processes better and, and centralizing the data and, and leveraging those sorts of data. It's probably been accelerated a little bit with the hybrid work environment and the security of technology and the hacking and ransomware and all those different things. So I can definitely see where you're coming from. So you mentioned that you didn't have a software development background per se. So you've taught yourself everything for this or what advice would you have for somebody that has an idea but really doesn't know what to do with it or not trying to create competition for you, obviously. But if they have an idea that they think can make the workflow or work make their life better, what advice might you have for that in a similar scenario? There's so much potential for, for people like civil engineers and just people that aren't software developers. It's, it's getting a lot easier for those sorts of things. So I kind of started off on maybe two different paths that simultaneously that sort of merged into one. First one is learning how apps work and that sort of thing. So kind of how I learned a lot of that was through no-code platforms. I think the first one I used was Google App Sheet, which is really good for building. You know, we were trying to keep track of, of all of the tests that we were doing. For the project, we were, you know, pasting everything into a spreadsheet and it was kind of very just ad hoc. So I, you know, built a simple app in the matter of an afternoon that we could just type in what day, where we needed the test and the information that the lab needed to know. And then it would send off an email to the, to the testing lab. That was a great way to learn like how forms and databases kind of interact together. And then kind of on the other side of the uh, software development, like I said, I was that part got started because I was interested in artificial intelligence. So just kind of started reading reading about that and then wanted to kind of try it out. So I was brushing up on my Python skills, uh, just trying out tiny little projects, simple stuff like program that plays rock, paper, scissors against you or something like that. And then just slowly building up those skills and you just kind of watch some YouTube videos. Uh, but most of it is just setting out a small project and then getting as far as you can and then Googling how, like, how do I do this little part? That just really steady practice on those sorts of things just builds up that, that knowledge. And then you kind of, so combining the, that actual writing code with the architecture of, of how apps work, things like uh, AppSheet and Power Apps from with Microsoft, just kind of slowly, slowly building up that knowledge. You know, it's not the same as if I was to go to school for a software engineering degree. There's lots of things that I, haven't learned yet, but it's the best way to learn is just just getting started. It's not going to win any um, software design awards or anything like that, but it, you know it definitely works. It does exactly what it needs to do. That's the important part if you want to get started on something is is just building it, and then if you need to make it a bit more efficient down the road, then then you can do that later. But you'll have time to do that. You mentioned YouTube, and I feel like I learned so much from just YouTube. And just searching something and, and mine normally relates back to like Excel or I wanted to do this. How do I get it to do that? I use MicroStation on a daily basis. So it has the VBA add-on coding stuff. So I've learned enough to be dangerous. I always try to comment enough in the background so that if somebody actually followed me, they might actually be able to follow my thought process. But 
more than likely they would be lost and it probably follows no standards, but like you said, trial and error, make it do what you need it to do and make it happen, right? Yeah, and exactly like the, the comments, putting comments in your code is probably one of the most important quality control. Maybe it's more of a quality assurance thing for software, it's just having that documentation so that somebody can follow that process. And that's that in itself is huge. The, the difference that um, you know, one line of this does this six months down the road is going to be massive. Even for you that wrote it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, there's so plenty of times when I was you know, in that learning process, I've gone back and looked at one of the first things and I don't couldn't tell you how this works. So yeah, that was a lesson I learned pretty early on and just make sure everything's well documented. Yeah, and I think that's key to, to the engineering mindset that so many people have is just like explain yourself or have those questions answered because there's so many what ifs and engineers in my experience have been so fast to what if anything. It's really easy because they're thinking three steps ahead to how they want to finish something. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. We do like to include a segment in every show. We call it the power of experience segment where we ask you just to offer a piece of advice to the listeners, whether it's in your experience in what we've talked about, some other engineering experience or just life in general. Something that's, that's worked out well for me and I've kind of taken advantage of throughout my career is saying yes to opportunities that come up that might be, you know, you're not really comfortable with. For example, you know, when I first got started, actually when I was still in university over the summers, I was given the opportunity to go work in, in northern Canada and some remote flying towns. So that was so I said yes to that kind of spirit of adventure sort of thing and, and see what happens. But it yeah, it worked out really good. We had I had a ton of fun, got a ton of ton of experience and different sorts of things. Like you, you know, it's different types of challenges and different types of problems that you have to solve when you can't. The next town is six hours drive away, sort of thing like that. So that was really cool. And um, kind of same thing happened to you know, move to New Zealand sort of on a whim with no connections in the country or anything like that. Obviously, you know, you want to make calculated risks. Uh, don't just do everything. But New Zealand was a country that had big engineering skill shortages. So there's lots of jobs and that sort of thing. So yeah, just kind of take the leap on something. Maybe it's travel. Maybe it's learning software development. Yeah, it could be all kinds of things, but just if you have an opportunity that you're kind of hesitant on, if you're, you know, think about it for a while, but it's a jump right in. Yeah, I'm thinking about things that I've said yes to over the years and things that I've said no to that I don't say I have regrets, but at the same time, I might have been able to get some valuable information or insight out of certain things that I said no to and that have long since passed for me. I just want to give you the chance. So you do have a software that is available for people to use right now? Yep. We're doing beta testing for the next probably two or three weeks, but then uh, we've got some projects coming online in early to mid-February. So yeah, if you're interested, we can get you set up the uh, next couple of weeks. If you were to sell this to somebody or offer this to somebody, like what would be your target? If there's a listener on here right now, like who are you talking to as far as that you could help today? Right now, we're focusing on those civil infrastructure projects. So roads and, our, yeah, our first two clients are going to be a big road widening project and a commuter rail project. So that's sort of our, our bread and butter at the moment. But a little bit farther down the road, we'll be looking into supporting commercial and, and any of the bigger scale projects, generally in the multi-million dollar, dollar range is kind of where we excel. So if there's construction managers, they should probably check out your software. I would say so, yes. 
And what is the best way to connect with you and follow up if they want to keep up and keep on what you're doing and what you're offering? Probably on LinkedIn is the best way to find me, just Jeff Carmichael. And then also you'll be able to find the link to our the company um, LinkedIn page as well and, and the website from my LinkedIn page. But the website is just www.qualomate.com. Well, thank you for your time, Jeff. I appreciate your insight and wish you the best. Thanks for having me, Brian. Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes at engineeringqualitycontrol.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points that we talked about today, as well as links to Jeff's website, qualomate.com, and his LinkedIn page. Until next time, friends, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at Engineering Management Institute. Dot org.